Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. are those who find wisdom. Her income is better than silver and her revenue better than gold. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. Proverbs 3 verses 13 and 18. My blue-eyed cowboy and I have been reading through Proverbs during our morning prayers and devotions. It's a lovely book full of so much to ponder that we have to take it slowly and discuss the verses as we go. This particular verse is beautiful and gives wisdom the feminine attribute. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. I love that. Wisdom can't be found as in a game of hide-and-seek. One minute you don't have it, the next minute you do. Wisdom is the result of a lifetime of sought-out knowledge and experiences that are used with common sense and good judgment. A wise person, we're told, knows himself. A wise person is sincere. A wise person's actions are consistent with her ethical beliefs. Having children brings wisdom. As a mother, I had to slow down my knee-jerk judgments about what had gone on to cause a confrontation. I had to patiently sift through all the information before passing sentence. I usually found a complaining child had brought the injustice upon his or herself, and we were able to talk about it and discuss the consequences that were natural and incurred. As a homeschooling mother, I had plenty of opportunities to teach about wisdom by example. Being popular doesn't often walk hand in hand with wisdom. Wisdom isn't always easy. You can't please everyone, but properly applied, she brings pleasantness, peace and consistency. Those who hold on fast to wisdom are happy indeed. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about what educating your children at home looks like. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out in a tree. Homeschooling can be embarked upon for a number of reasons too. A physically challenged child or parent, the threat of bullies and overwhelming peer pressure, a particularly brilliant child who is bored in kindergarten, a conflict in religious values, a desire for the family closeness missing in your upbringing. For me, it's a lifestyle that suits the maverick lurking within. I wanted to be the one who saw the light bulbs go on. I wanted to be there at turning points in my children's lives. I didn't want to hand them over to folk who weren't their mother, and I wanted to make my own decisions about how to raise my children. Over the years, I've been broadcasting. I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers, fathers and graduates who find educational opportunities everywhere and they thrive. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones. God and children will do that. I've gained insights and delights that I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy and sometimes a roller coaster. But for me, it starts and ends with God. The beauty of hearing wind in the trees, birds song at the feeder, the sight of cows contentedly grazing in a field, a full moon out in the middle of nowhere, a warm embrace, and a brilliant flash of lightning that heralds a crash of thunder. If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of Tetley's tea and a nice fancy to thank you for staying. I'm broadcasting from Turkey Creek in Florida, and after the first break, I'm going to be bringing you a chat I had with newlyweds Simon and Lindsay McNenny, my son and daughter-in-law, about their wedding and the work they're doing on their non-profit business called Window to the Wild. They're a young and vibrant couple who are putting their ideas ideas into action, as you'll hear after the break. So stay tuned. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where we're closing in on the end of our house-sitting assignment and wondering what the future holds for us. Are you ready? 
I've spoken about the National Health before, especially when I was in England, and although they carry out regular screenings and there's a good care and there's good care available for everyone, if you can wait the sixteen weeks from referral to action, there are some moments that we've had to smile. Last year when we arrived in England in May, we were very ill, a combination of moving rapidly four thousand miles clear across America and the Atlantic, selling our home at twenty eight years, and giving up our youngest son in marriage after a uh, after 25 years, apparently knocked us for six, not to mention a whole new set of airborne pollens and other allergens, plus bacteria and viruses laying siege to our upper respiratory systems when we arrived in my damp and blustery homeland. Our general practitioner across the road told us to man it up and work through it, with not an antibiotic in sight. We did, with the generous help of ibuprofen and paracetamol, even some laced with codeine, but after exhaustive days and sleepless nights, I stumbled upon a doctor at the practice who wasn't shy of dispensing antibiotics. Not that I'm a fan, but after a lingering cough and cold, head and earache and long bouts of lethargy, I thought a prescription with any combination of psyllin would do the trick. My new doctor was writing prescriptions as I spoke through bouts of coughing and sniffling. She became my all-time favourite doctor despite her startling showgirl makeup and miniskirts. She ooed and nodded sympathetically as her fingers whizzed across her keyboard and her printer clacked into action. Handing me my prescriptions with a dazzling red lipstick smile, she sent me on my way and I was smiling. My Texan persisted with his curmudgeon until he desperately needed a refill of some painkillers for the knee he was having problems with. This doctor asked him when he called, "'If you can't walk, how will you collect the refill from my office?' And so my my Texan replied, I'll send my wife. He has since found a new primary carer and is much happier. He said Dortz would be a lot happier too, as he was a handsome fellow. But Dortz was in the Balkans cruising and has her own doctor tales to tell. Now to continue with the national health and screenings. We hadn't been back a month when my blue-eyed cowboy was sent a little package in the mail with an invitation to participate in bowel cancer screening. He was so keen to share his, his good fortune that he called the office and asked for another kit for me, but the nurse said that I wasn't old enough yet. <laughs> While my cowboy was in screening mode, he also had a comprehensive blood test ordered with all kinds of boxes ticked by the kind young medic, including cholesterol and prostate. He walked along to the hospital, had his blood drawn and was told to call his doctor in a week for the results, and apart from a slight elevation in lipids caused by the unbeatable taste of mature English cheddar, all tests were negative. With the mail-in bowel screening, a booklet was enclosed outlining what to expect when the results were released. In essence, it boiled down to, if the test is negative, you may still have cancer. If the test is positive, you may not have cancer. May or may not. How confusing is that? And what was the point? That made me smile too. Triage, working on all fronts of the national health, I'm told. For his poor, achy knee, my long-suffering cowboy was prescribed an MRI after his x-ray showed no bone or muscle damage. He waited and waited for an invitation to make the trek to the Princess Royal University Hospital, known as the Prue, home of the MRI machine. He waited so long that he almost forgot until his knee nudged him uncomfortably. He made a proactive phone call to reactivate the appointment. Our machine is broken. We're waiting for the part. There's a massive backlog. If you can travel to another hospital, we can put you on a list, the receptionist told him. Yes, please, said my cowboy while his knee spasmed. And at the end of the week, he received a letter. The National Health is a fan of the Royal Mail system. And we noted that the MRI machine had been repaired and the system was playing catch-up. So could he toddle along on Sunday for his x-ray? Now he's waiting for the results to determine what's the next step. And nine months later, we're still waiting because we had to leave the country. Now it's the turn of Medicare. I wonder if they'll be any better. 
Well, it's time for me almost to go on a break, but before I dash off to refill my drink, let me introduce you to my guests, Simon and Lindsay McNenny. Simon is a graduate from Wildflower Academy, where he homeschooled under the tutelage of his mum, Moi, who encouraged him to spend many hours at the local animal shelter, assisting with routine vaccinations, bottle-feeding orphaned raccoons, squirrels and opossums, and bringing many of them home, thus fueling his passion for animals. He also spent nine years volunteering at the local community theatre on stage and behind the scenes, performing many musicals, plays and operas which prepared him to give educational talks to the public at local schools and co-ops. Simon has a bachelor degree in wildlife and fisheries science from Texas A&M University and he was a keeper at the Dallas Zoo where he looked after the hoofed stock, notably Okapi, Gemsbok, Bongo and Zebra. Lindsay was formerly a supervisor for Natural Encounters, Inc., where she produced, choreographed and performed animal shows all across the country at zoos, including the San Diego Zoo, Toledo, Philadelphia, the Dallas Zoo, where she met Simon, and a free flight bird show at the State Fair of Texas. She also worked as a trainer and performed animal shows for the LA Zoo, Birds and Animals Unlimited, Animal Planet Live Show at Universal Studios Hollywood, and the Phoenix Zoo. She has a Bachelor of Science degree from Siena Heights University and together they have founded a non-profit company called Window to the Wild and their goal is to increase awareness about wildlife and raise money to donate to conservation products helping animals and the environment all around the world. So I'm going to go on a short break and afterwards I'll be talking to Simon and Lindsay and we were chatting about them being married and we picked up the conversation right at the point where Simon and explains that, well, he's been married twice. So I'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Like I just said, I've been married twice and I'm only 26. Thankfully, it's to the same person. Um, but we got our first at our first wedding in the beginning of April, which went off without a hitch. Took six months of planning, and then uh, shortly after that, I guess in July, we got married a second time, and it was just as easy, but not as much planning. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, it was a lot of work just to build up into that big uh, adventure in our life of planning the wedding and doing it kind of all on our, I mean, on our own with our family's help and stuff, but we didn't have the typical wedding planner. I mean, we just kind of did it all ourselves, you know, family and friends helping decorate and making cakes. Yeah. So it was definitely a big, um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of time it took, um, to plan that, even though, yeah, like Simon said, it took us six months. It was six months of a lot of, a lot of work, but it was really fun and it paid off. And, you know, with the end result, it was such a beautiful wedding. They were both really, really proud and happy with the way that it all turned out. So. Well, it's amazing how one event, you know, you take six months to plan for it and it, and it happens, but, um, 
your whole focus. And then at the end, after you were married, after you'd come back from your honeymoon, was it kind of like, or did you move straight into another project, straight into something else? Straight in. (laughs) Straight into another project. Straight into getting our our lovely little birds that we have outside screaming. (laughs) Okay, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. You had two weddings. Lindsay, uh, you don't come from Dallas. That's not where your family is from. But you did decide to get married in Dallas, which is where Simon and all his family and, and friends, and you had some friends from the zoo. So why did you decide to do that? It, was it because you had lived in Dallas for a while? What, what was the reasoning behind not going home to get married? Yeah, I mean, I guess it just felt like, you know, Grant and I grew up and I lived in Michigan for, what, 23 years. Um, And not that Michigan no longer felt like home, but I had felt like Dallas had become my second kind of adulthood of home. You know, I had... I had, you know, all of all of you guys, all of Simon's family, Simon's friends, you know, my friends that I had worked with and people that I'd met from the zoo. So you'd spent years here doing the state fair show. Yeah, I'd started doing the fair show since 2003. So I'd spent a lot of time in Dallas. So Dallas kind of felt like a second home to me. So it just seemed fitting, you know, uh, to be able to be able to get married in a church that actually meant something to you guys and all of your family and stuff and have everybody be so close. And, you know, it wasn't hard for my parents and the people that I really wanted to be able to be a part of it, to be there. So, And it was easier for planning, I think. Yeah. Uh, Since we were living here, it was easier just to plan here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so you went up to Michigan though and celebrated with all of your family members. A few had come to Dallas, but mm-hmm. you did that in July around about the July 4th weekend. It was it was July 5th, so yeah. it was okay. 3 months after we got married originally. Okay. Okay. So tell us about that and, and a more casual. You said you didn't spend 6 months planning that one. Yeah, we kind of, the way that we did it is, is my parents were the ones that kind of planned everything. Yeah, once we got there, we decorated, but they were kind of the ones that were in charge of um, food and, you know, cupcakes and cake and, um, you know. Potluck style stuff, food wise, Mm -hmm. Um, a a three and a half minute ceremony, (laughs) uh, which was was like 30 times shorter than the one that we originally had. (laughs) but it was still it was it was fantastic and it was a lot of fun and she has a very rambunctious big family. Yeah. We called that our redneck version of our of our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You were too funny, but you wore your same dress though, didn't you, Lindsay? I did. It was great actually being able to wear a dress that you spend money on twice. Hey, that was pretty good. We did. She she said we rode in on a uh, on a golf cart. Yep. Oh, I was going to say, we... did you wear a bandana? <laughs> I should have. We talked about like hanging beer cans, Bud Light beer cans from the back too, but we forgot about that part. So... We drank them all, but we didn't. Yeah, do Simon it. drank them all with my dad, but <laughs> we forgot that big part. Right. <laughs> Tell us a little bit, Lindsay, about what what you do. Yeah. Well, I guess. Um. I mean, I started off. <laughs> I started off uh, doing bird shows uh, basically in 2003, and um, that company that I worked for was based out of Florida. Did that uh, did a show over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and um, for the past 25 years, they've also been doing a show at the State Fair of Texas. So ever since 2003 until last year, I've come to Dallas for three months to put together a huge free flight bird show at the State Fair of Texas. So. Texas has been my place of living for three months every single year for the past 11 years. So how did, how did you get into birds, birds made, doing bird shows, training birds? You know, it's not something that everybody says, yes. oh, I want to do that. Right. And then that's not what I started off. I started off wanting to be a dolphin trainer. That was kind of my original hope and plan. And uh, I just got really lucky. I um, worked at the Toledo Zoo um, for the um, Children's Zoo. And Steve Martin, the company that I that I was working for that did the fair show, um, he came to the Toledo Zoo and did a bird show there. And so I met all of the staff there. And long story short, they ended up offering me a seasonal position the following summer. So the next summer, um, I got a seasonal position with that show. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. You know, after the, the you know, three months of doing it, I thought this is, I, it was just so much fun being out on stage, seeing people with big smiles on their face and seeing people, you know, blown away with how cool birds 
could be. And, and that I kind of, you know, I, I, that I felt that too. I kind of was blown away by how cool birds were and just being on stage and getting people that excited about something that's natural that animals do every day was something that I just want, I decided I wanted to do forever. So Simon, you met Lindsay at the zoo while she was doing a, a, a show there at the zoo yeah. that you were working at, right? Yeah, we met at a kickball tournament. <laughs> oh, at the zoo though. Well, with the zoo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so were you as interested in birds? I know you were in charge of the hoof stock at the time. Yeah, no, I was not I was not uh, enthralled with birds like she is mm-hmm. uh, at the time. But then I grew to love them because she introduced them to me. And uh, it's like any animals. I, I, I would work with anything. Mm-hmm. I had a passion for mammals just because I'd worked with a lot of mammals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so going in, I didn't want to work with hoof stock initially, but... Once I got to the zoo and I started working with them and realizing they all had personalities and all are mm-hmm. completely different animals, it was I fell in love with working with hoofstock and I would work with them again if I had the opportunity. So yeah, yeah. And so once you got married, you did your second marriage. Well, actually, I think you did this. You went and got some birds because you want to start your own bird training bird show business. Correct. So tell us about where you went to get your birds and how you've raised them. We drew, uh, drove to Florida. We After we got back from our honeymoon, we did a little bit of research and found a local breeder, uh, actually not local, local in Florida, I guess, that Lindsay had heard of. And mm-hmm. uh, we ended up uh, driving to Florida. We drove overnight, so that was a stressful drive. Uh, we left work and drove straight there. Mm-hmm. And uh, picked up Walter and Lemon, our two blue and gold macaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were 30 days old when we got them, so they barely had feathers. Oh. Um, and we uh, we drove them home that same day. We uh, went home and we stopped in New Orleans and took them inside a hotel. And um, they were making noises, so we had to kind of walk them with covered a covered crate so that people didn't see that we had birds we were bringing in. And mm-hmm. uh, we took them into our hotel room, and then. After that, went home, and we've been raising them ever since, and they're now full-grown blue and gold babies. Babies. So, yeah, yeah, they did go to Michigan for our second wedding. So, you went to yes. No, did they go? You took them with you. Yeah, we rode with them, and they and and our baby raccoon Bella. Right. So, so you got these birds, and they're now. Well, are they still considered babies? When when do they mature into adolescence? I mean, I feel like they have. I mean, typically, I feel like around a year old, okay. um, you could probably stop calling them babies, um, which they are. They're past a year old now. But it is interesting to see just how, um, re- how, like how they rely on us so much. I mean, just we just got home, and you walk out, and the moment that they see you, they start baby begging and get really fluffy. Oh. So it is just really cool just to see how attached how yeah how much they love us they see us and they get fluffy and <laughs> want us to come over and you know and and say hi to them but even even their their personalities are completely different and lemon is much more of a baby around both of us than walter's walter's more um on her own we think walter's a, a girl now all right <laughs> um, so she's a little bit more independent uh-huh. but still loves us but lemon lemon will always fluff up the second he sees us yeah all right, so you started training them. What, how old were they when you started to train them? I mean, I guess I would say the moment that we started interacting with them, you could call it training. I mean, the moment that we started um, feeding them, um, you know, with the, with the, I guess, syringe, we started feeding them with the syringe. I mean, I would say that was kind of the start of training, you know, training them to be comfortable with new people. I mean, honestly, when we first got them, they were actually pretty scared of us. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that they saw the breeder a whole lot. And when they did, you know, they just, just basically saw her to feed. So they really were pretty startled anytime we came around. So in the beginning, it was just getting them to be comfortable yeah. um, around us all of the time and not just when there was, you know, food around. So, and then we, you know, we started doing step ups with them pretty early on to just get them used to us picking them up and moving them around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what about flying? How did you teach them how to fly? You know, honestly, we um, 
gosh, I feel like they first started to fly a little bit, like in our rooms, in our bedrooms, in the house. And um, you'll you'll see it. You know, they'll they'll be on the ground, they'll be on their perch, and they'll start flapping. And sometimes the flapping will lift their feet off of the ground a little bit. So you just kind of watch mm-hmm. for them to naturally show those instincts to want to try to figure out how to use those wings and fly. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when you step in and try to help entice them. Like, okay, you want to be over? You want to see me? Come on, come. I want you to come to me and fly to me. So just kind of using our ourselves on how much of a reinforcer the two of us are mm-hmm. to get them to want to fly. So And so now they're flying, flying well. Yeah. They fly well in our backyard since we've netted in our entire backyard. So we have a big old aviary back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do. They fly perch to perch. Um, you know, and they're really they're really good at flying. So you're you're still focusing on your business and mm-hmm. in order to do that you needed to get um non-profit status that's what you wanted to get did you have to get non-profit though i mean was was there another reason why you had to go for non-profit well we could have honestly done um LLC. we could have done for profit or we could have done an llc limited liability corporation but the reason we chose nonprofit is because one of the parts of our business that we that was so important to us was being able to raise money for conservation. Mm-hmm. So to be able to take any non-taxable um, donations from anyone or be able to be allowed to take any donations, we'd have to be a nonprofit. Okay. So that's kind of why we made that decision because that was such a big part, you know, of the fair raising money for conservation. You know, raising over a million dollars with the shows we've done. That's something that has been really important to me and I wanted to continue being able to do that and make a difference. Okay, so how easy was it to get non-profit? Did you just apply for forms, fill them out and hey presto, there you are, non-profit? No, I mean, it was really difficult. You know, I started off doing all the research on filling out all the paperwork by myself. Um, and it's just really hard. I mean, the nonprofit, especially the tax exempt side of nonprofits, mm-hmm. it's like 40 pages long of information. And I mean, everything, basically any research that I did is a lot of people that fill out the paperwork on their own, just one word that you put in there that's not the proper legal terminology or legal wording. Mm-hmm. They'll, I mean, you, they won't pass you as a nonprofit. Wow. So it just became where I did all of this research trying to figure out how to do it on our own to, to where I just got scared of, I don't want to screw this up. Let's mm-hmm. just, let's hire a corporation to help us do it. So we end up hiring a nonprofit um, group to help us fill out the paperwork so that it was all correct terminology. So that's kind of, that's been a big help, at least taking that on. Um, You know, obviously we still had a lot of work even with somebody else doing it for us because they had a lot of questions for us, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of paperwork that we had to fill out, just explaining our business and letting them understand really what we are. Because, you know, when you say we're, you know, we're a, animal training, free flight bird show company, people are like, I don't even understand what that means. You know, it's just explaining to them what that, what that entails. So, yeah, well, we're going to go on a very, very short break here and come back and I'm going to continue exploring some of the things that um, has been going on in your lives this past year. So we'll be back in just a moment. All right. How do you handle toddlers, teens and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. 
Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Nonprofit, we talked a little bit about how you got your forms together. There was something else that you did because it's very important um, to you to educate people. And Mm -hmm. doing bird shows is one way of educating the people. What if you can't get a show together? I know you're working on another aspect. What are other things that you can do to get out there and educate people? I mean, honestly, um, I mean, even if it's just, you know, going to um, different organizations like museums or even just doing parties at people's house, if we do a birthday party, um, different things like that, even just bringing our birds and ed- starting with educating kids, you know, even if we do a kid birthday party, mm-hmm. bringing our kids there, or bringing our birds there and letting kids be a part of that. I mean, I know when I was a child and my first experience with animals going to the zoos was a life changer for me, getting those up close experiences with really cool animals is something that as a kid, I never forgot. And that kind of helped mold me into wanting to be the person that I am today of having those experiences as a child. So, so what, what kind of permit do you need to do that? Um, actually, that's why we're working on getting our education permit um, okay. through uh, Fish and Wildlife. So actually, right now, we're going through Texas Parks mm-hmm. and Wildlife, and then eventually, it'll be a U.S. Fish and Game permit that we'll have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on um, getting our education permit through them. So that's been a big process, too. I feel like we've been working on that for probably three months now, filling yeah. up yeah. paperwork, you know, spending the money and just talking through all of it and trying to get someone out here building enclosures in our backyard for more birds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been, I feel like one project after another that we've yeah. put our up against. All right. So that's not a quick process, getting the education permit. Definitely not. And it's not quick only because of the government yeah. taking their time. That's yeah. the only reason. Yeah. So, so, and what kind of birds are you looking at in order to be able to get this education permit? I mean, did, do you need an education permit to take, for example, your two um, macaws into a school? No, honestly, we could, um, as long as we have a business license of some sort, we could take our parrots, we could take anything that is exotic. So any bird that you could find um, that you would not find in the U.S., you could take into a school and do a program with. So the reason that you need an education permit is if you want any to use any sort of native species. So the nice thing about if we get an education permit is then we can get native species birds. Like what we've been talking about is getting a couple owls from a local rehab center so basically the process is is that you fill out the paperwork and then you have to have a couple letters of reference from people in um in you know the education industry so we had to have a couple of our friends write a letter of reference and just show all of our background of doing education and then send in the permits and then they process the permits meanwhile we build our enclosures um now the process is we're waiting on um a fish and game warden to come out and inspect our facilities. Okay. Once they inspect our facilities, then they pass our permit and then we can get the birds. Oh, okay. So you have to have the permit before you can get the birds. Yeah. Okay. So they can't give you the birds until you've done that. Anything that's native species is protected by the wildlife services. So if anyone picks up a native species bird and takes it into their house to take care of it without the intentions of taking it to a rehab center, it's illegal. Even pick feathers with any, any migratory bird that crosses any sort of border, mm-hmm. you can't even pick up a feather from that bird. It's a federal offense and you can go to prison. Really? Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I learned it in college because it was classes I had to take on oh, right. yeah. laws and stuff with game and fish and game stuff. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the other reasons that getting the native species and rehab birds has been really important to me, too, because, you know, people aren't educated on native species birds. You know, I'd love to be able to educate people that if you find a baby bird on the ground, don't pick it up and take it into a rehab center unless it's injured. You know, look around, see if you can find a nest. Mm -hmm. If there's a nest above, you could go put that, pick that bird up and put it in a nest. Yeah. Yeah. 
be a mother around watching the baby bird. The baby bird's fine, but the worst thing you can do is take it away from its parents. Not because of the smell. It's not like the mom is going to smell the human and not ever take care of that baby again. That's a, a wives' tale. Yeah, birds. I mean, they don't. They don't do that. They're not just going to. I mean, birds can't smell most birds, but I mean, bird just in general, even with with mammals, you know, had some friends that found baby bobcats in their house or in like their backyard and they picked them up and took them inside and called us and said, what do we do? And we, you know, we asked about the story and when they found the babies, they had spooked the mom off the baby. So we said, put them back. Yeah. 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 Right. So you've been working really hard on that. Let's go to something that's a little bit um, more fun. Perhaps you, you had a trip to Southeast Asia last year that you enjoyed um whoever simon yeah that was a that was a uh a dream of both of ours i guess to go to southeast asia i've always wanted to go there Mm -hmm. um and we ended up doing in three weeks we went to thailand singapore borneo cambodia and vietnam Mm. and it was it was an extremely stressful trip as far as traveling because we were in an airport every like four days, mm-hmm. but other than that, seeing the sights and being around the the culture was uh, unbelievable. It was amazing. Mm. So, mm-hmm. if you got any dreams to go back there and do it at a slower pace, sometime a, a, a slower pace for sure. I think we were we were in Thailand for three days, um, and it was very short. And we definitely would go back to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily need to see Singapore again. Singapore's just like a big city. It's like going to New York City. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't too different. Um, Borneo was awesome, but we ended up going – we were too far away from some of the animal stuff to do what we really wanted to. But I would go back to Borneo and Cambodia again. They were both amazing places. Mm-hmm. I did I did get sick in Vietnam, so I wasn't too thrilled on Vietnam. Yeah. But yeah. only because my stomach hurt. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, that was an an awesome trip, and we would definitely do it again. Yeah, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. So, how do you think you could um, get to travel to those kinds of countries in a more um, leisurely fashion, <laughs> not being a tourist, maybe? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like with our company, I would love to be able to do like you know whether it's some sort of environmental awareness talk or even just like training talks you know doing um different consulting um things in different zoos and some you know tiny little sanctuary like that and then be able to go over there and maybe help them um help them learn of ways to educate the people around them because i feel like it starts there you know if orangs are going to be extinct in three years we need to make some changes over there and give people something else to be able to do to make money for their family to survive i mean understand why it's happening people are slashing burning palm palm trees for palm oil because that's what they do to make money for their family so that their family can continue to eat food and survive. Well, I think what you're doing just locally, just in, in your own state is a really good start mm-hmm. for something like that, just to heighten awareness. Cause who knows one of those kids that you talk to might be somebody who might go and uh, have a heart for Southeast Asia or the orangutans. Yeah, or, for sure. Yeah. I know that the two of you are sort of self-sustainable. You belong to a co-op of some sort, a food yeah. co-op of some sort, and you grow yeah. some of your own food. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we decided last year that we wanted to become a little bit more organic. I kind of went on a documentary craze and <laughs> learned a lot of information that kind of made me realize that um, I think we've been – misled on appropriate foods that we should be feeding our bodies and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, we went to started shopping fairly strictly at an organic uh, grocery store we've had to kind of change recently just uh, due to our busy schedule but Mm -hmm. uh, we do have a co-op that we're a part of and we get a laundry basket full of fruits and veggies for ten dollars and we do every two weeks Mm -hmm. Um, and most of that lasts us for a while and they we're able to use it for our birds and for us, so that's nice. So is that organic? Is that organically grown? It's not necessarily all, all organic, but it is mostly local grown, which is okay. um, 
you know, just as good for, for us right now. It's, it's supporting these local companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we would love to become as organic as possible and self-sustaining. It'd be nice to have a full-size garden and have an orchard and, you know, a grapes growing and blackberries growing and all sorts of roots and vegetables. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, there's, that's, kind of a, a dream of both of ours, I think, to not only have our facility and our bird company, but on the facility to be able to grow these organic, locally grown things for ourselves, for us, and for our birds. It would save us money, and we'd like to use solar energy and wind energy and yeah. recycle rainwater instead of just tapping into you know, the grid, essentially, and yeah. using the water that comes from lakes here. Yeah. With the homeschooling, you know, we thought everybody homeschooled. Well, we didn't think everybody homeschooled, but really it's only a small percentage of the population. Yeah. It's like 4%. That's yeah. not very many people. So, And you're yeah. doing even more. You know, you're you're a homeschooler and you're, you're wanting to be sustainable and you're wanting to start your own business. So there are lots of things yeah. um, that are different. You're doing different things, which I think the world today is going to embrace those small yeah. companies and we've and- talked about we've talked about several things recently about um downsizing as far as our house and facilities go and mm-hmm. uh, you know we don't need this house that we're in right now we're paying too much money for it but mm-hmm. there's uh there's lots of different options that we could look into to um downsize and to make our lives less stressful and more affordable for us that's right while still being happy and as content as can be we don't need a mansion to be content that's right that's right is all about what's what you feel inside yeah and there are a lot of young people out there that feel that way so i think you're in you're in the right place right now um we're getting a little bit more educated on things yeah yeah that's right and uh simon you're sausage making and you're brewing still doing that uh, I haven't done brewing in a couple in a year or so, year and a half. But oh, really? I st- just uh, time wise, but I have yeah. been. Uh, we did make sausage a couple months ago, and mm-hmm. that was fun. Just working up the restaurant that we work at now and learning about curing meats and making sausages and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's just more more skills to add to my bag, I guess. That's right. That's right. Well, gosh, thanks both of you for talking to me this afternoon. And um, well, I I wish you every success in what you're doing, and you you are heading. Uh, everything you're doing is heading in the, in the right direction because eventually, when it all comes together, you know, you'll everything will fall into place. And you know, if it comes easily, then I don't think you appreciate it quite as well, do you? Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah, definitely. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I was talking to Simon and Lindsay McNenny, who have founded a non-profit company called Window to the Wild, where they hope to bring their combined expertise to audiences and heighten public awareness of the wildlife that share their world. You can find out more about them at www.windowtothewild.org. Their site is linked on my Tokenet page and my website, The Sociable Homeschooler. I hope you enjoyed our conversation recorded a few weeks ago and agree that they are an upstanding couple who are learning the value of patience as they pursue their dreams. Very difficult in this instant gratification world. 
I want to talk about positive reinforcement, which is something both Simon and Lindsay use to train their birds and other animals. I tried it here in Florida with the two dogs we're looking after. I thought it'd be really fun if I could train them to put their toys back in the basket after they finish playing with them. They can root around in there to find the toy they want to chew or bat around the floor for a bit, but they just leave them out and I have to stop and pick them up all soggy and wet and stinky and put them away myself. So, cheese is their do-anything-for treat and they know the crinkle of the wrapper when I open the fridge. They even know the words, so we have to spell it out. In my attempt at training, I got them a piece of cheese and put it in my pocket. That was a stinky move too. And I sat on the couch all ready to begin their first lesson. Take it slowly, Lindsay says. I thought I'd begin by rewarding them if they picked up their toy. Then I'd gradually encourage them to bring it to me. And as we got closer to the basket, eventually they may automatically pop the alligator or the squirrel or the ball away. The training word had to be short and sweet, no long sentences like, go pick up your toy or bring it here, there's a good girl. I chose toy. Simple, sweet and short. The only problem was they knew I had cheese in my pocket and they weren't in the least bit interested in anything else. I had to give up after 10 minutes and ended up putting the cheese away. I wasn't going to reward them for looking pretty. They do that all the time. Wow, I thought, this is not as easy as I thought. The positive, positive reinforcement route. And I wondered how Lindsay trained her birds. She keeps the treats in her pocket and they fly to her and get a seed. And they don't take long to train at all. And they know that she's got the seed in her pocket, but they still do what they're supposed to do. Anyway, getting the dogs interested in even going over to their toy was my problem. Perhaps dogs are too intelligent to want to learn to pick things up and put them away. Or thinking about it, these two don't even know how to fetch yet. Perhaps that's where I should start. Or maybe they're just a little old to be learning new tricks. Can we use only positive reinforcement with our children? I find that I remember to point out the wrong they're doing, but do I always remember to praise them when they do something right? And also, how do I cross that fine line between discipline and positive reinforcement? First off, I have to forget the negative connotations of that word discipline. The boundaries of discipline today have changed from when I was a child. Today, hitting a child or shouting at one is considered physical and verbal abuse to be avoided at all costs, and rightly so, except on the high street in London, where it seems to abound. Perhaps it abounds in cars along the freeways here too. We just don't see it or hear it quite so clearly. Consequences and example are a much better way to discipline a child. Following the riots in London a couple of years ago, I read in the newspapers that English parents are blaming society for tying their hands as far as being allowed to act as responsible parents goes. So no spanking, no yelling, lawsuits brought, brought when the police or teachers overstep their lines trying to reprimand a deviant. There's no authority in the schools or even on the streets anymore for fear of losing jobs or worse. Some parents feel powerless because they don't know how else to get obedience from their children, so they throw up their hands and surrender to the bad behavior of their offspring. One English dad spoke about his 16-year-old daughter had been caught shoplifting during the riots. She comes and goes, what can I do about it? She gets caught up in bad company. If it was up to me, she wouldn't have been out so late. The police picked her up at 3 a.m. with a stolen iPad in her bag. So, who was it up to if it wasn't up to Dad to make sure she was safely at home at that late hour at night or really a very early hour in the morning? Why does Dad feel so powerless and what's happening to society? We homeschoolers aren't immune to the worldliness of society, but by the very nature of keeping our children at home with us, we do put ourselves in a position of responsibility for them until they're of age and maturity to go it alone, which for some is rather later than sooner. We endeavor to instill a strong moral ethic by example, direct teaching and disciplining. And let's not shudder at that D word, 
discipline. Today, it may be speak of harsh punishments and reprimands that could teeter on the abusive, which is not where we want to go in raising our children, but it does have its roots in the Latin discipulus, meaning disciple or follower. Jesus disciplined his friends by setting a good example, by walking in a way that was admirable and beyond reproach, in a way that others wanted to copy. There was no bullying involved, no belittling, no intimidation, no thrashing or hard words, maybe a few well-directed harshish words, get thee behind me, Satan, Matthew 16.23, but also a lot of gentle encouragement. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't make a deliberate choice to do the opposite of someone I respected and admired, would you? So I'm drawn to ask parents, do your children respect and admire you? Are you setting an all-round example that they will want to follow? Are you being a strong role model? Research has shown that good, consistent and present role modelling is a contributing factor to young men and women making the positive choice to stay away from a gang culture. We don't need to beat our children into submission. We don't need to be intimidated by our governments and watch silently as our parental rights are taken from us. Responsible parents know that life is tough and that by endorsing discipline and instructing their children to recognize and respect the difference between right and wrong will not win them any points in the popularity stakes. What it will win them is a future generation with a strong moral compass. Don't fall for the line, but so-and-so's parents let them. Good, consistent and present role modeling is what our children need from us not others. So what makes an irresponsible parent like the father I mentioned earlier? Are are their children steamrollering them? Is peer pressure too powerful a weapon to withstand? Is being popular with their children compromising their stewardship of parenthood? Are threats from society, the government and culture blurring the ethical boundaries beyond which they should not venture? The finger is being firmly pointed outside the family at the government for making spanking and proper school disciplining illegal. We know as responsible parents that the government is not the family. Blaming others is an easy way to get off the hook. The father I opened with said of his daughter, if it was up to me, she wouldn't have been out that late. Well, who is it up to if it's not up to him? Who are we giving the power of parenting to? How much are we entrusting to others when it comes to ours? Go to parentalrights.org and re-establish your God-given parental rights and exercise them by setting a good example by walking in a way that is admirable, admirable and beyond reproach in a way that your children and others want to emulate. Individuals make up society. As individuals, we need to restore in our children the notion of respect for their elders. We can change society, but not until we, one by one, make the changes ourselves. We don't have to scream and shout, beat to a pulp, or respond coldly and unemotionally to our children. We simply have to set a great example and make sure we reward our children for being good and not when they don't toe the line. But if, as in the case of the cheese, they won't be trained, don't give up. Save the reward for another day. Well, I'm just about finished. I'm off to the store again to do an unsatisfactory shop. I'll be glad to get back to decent grocery shopping, I must say that. Oranges are beginning to show up on the trees just as we're leaving, and the baby guavas have just about finished. I love all these exotic plants found around here, especially the birds of paradise, which I've never seen growing in the wild. Thank you for listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer Sabrina, my guests this week, Simon and Lindsay McNenny, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day right here on Toginet Radio. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Do
Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.